Courtney and I have never met in person. Instead, we've connected through virtual meetings. We quickly realized that Betty and I enjoy brainstorming together about ministry, faith, and life, and that we have a lot to learn from one another. A virtual time together has felt similar to sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee, something that feels so foreign since the start of the pandemic. We found ourselves talking about life, theology, and asking all the big questions without ever having to leave with any answers. So we decided to turn this cup of coffee experience into a podcast. We're building a platform that invites others to ask the big questions we don't always feel comfortable asking. We'll use wonder as a tool to dig us out of these questions and help us reimagine our ways of doing ministry. So grab a cup of coffee or beverage of your choice. We'll let wonder percolate together. Hi friends, um, it's Court and Betty again today, and um, I'm so grateful to continue the conversation with so thank you, friends, for joining us today. I'm Betty Wynn. And Court, did you want to say hi? Yeah, no, I'm excited to sit down and talk and continue our conversation. Um, I know a while ago we had did a workshop together with our staff on microaggressions. Mm-hmm. And that generated a lot of really great conversation. And uh, I've been preparing some workshops and trainings and kind of like trans one-on-one stuff um, for some of our camps and other churches and throughout the conference. And uh, yeah, so the topic of microaggressions has been really sticking out to me and I'm uh, hoping we can talk a little bit about that today and kind of percolate together. Yeah, that sounds great. And I know on my end, um, a ministry that um, that presentation um, comes up in conversation. And so, um, yeah, I'm grateful for that. So yeah, what's percolating? Cool. Well, I figure I might as well start with like, what the heck are microaggressions? Get us all on the same page. And I was going to try to pull up a definition in front of me, um, but alas, I did not. And so I'm just going to try to define it myself from memory. So bear with me, folks. Uh, My understanding is that microaggressions are more or less, um, it can be unintentional or intentional uh, sayings or behaviors, words or actions that um, like cause harm to another person. It's the definition I would attempt. And so an example that I could give um, in context of my life um, and like trans folks and non-binary folks, um, one form of a microaggression would be misgendering someone. So misgendering someone is when you assume the person's gender and it turns out that's not who or what they are. And it doesn't just happen to trans folks. It can happen to cisgender people as well. Um, someone assumes that you're a man and you're actually a woman or vice versa. Um, yeah, and so an example of that in context of uh, that kind of realm is using the incorrect pronouns for somebody. Um, so I know for myself, when someone misgenders me, um, either by, usually by using uh, she, her pronouns, not always with he, her pronouns, but that's a whole other tangent I could go off of. Um, so if someone uses the incorrect pronouns for me, that'd be considered a microaggression because it, uh, Sometimes, not always, it depends, right? Um, would cause discomfort on my end. Um, and microaggressions are become a problem when they stack up and add up. Um, so 
one small microaggression could be easy to brush off, but when you experience them uh, frequently, then they build up and cause uh, additional emotional or psychological distress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you, what would you add to that, Betty? What are microaggressions? Yeah, I was just looking at um, a document I have um, in front of me on my my bulletin board, and um, yeah, everyday verbal, nonverbal, mental lights, moves, insults, intentional or unintentional. I think yeah, your example and your definition is is helpful, and you know when we did our presentation. Um, in preparation for that, we were watching a video or we were um, reviewing a video that talks about microaggressions like bug bites or mosquito bites. I think that analogy is helpful, right? Um, like one or two is not a big deal, but when you have 10 or 20 mosquito bites, it's, you know, very uncomfortable. And then um, I know for me, I use that kind of shopping cart uh, analogy of, in the grocery store and you accidentally bump into somebody and it's annoying and it's okay. People can let it go and we say, sorry. Um, but if we keep doing that, <laughs> then it becomes uh, like, hey, what's really going on here, right? So, yeah, and I think the other thing about microaggressions, um, as I'm still learning myself and aware that I um, am, probably causing harm too, you know, so again, like um, having um, a community who can hold me accountable, so all that to say, I'm still learning myself, um, is that microaggressions is nuanced. I think that's something we have to name, like um, as an Asian American woman, um, some things I can brush off on some days, it depends on what's going on. Um, I have three kids, and so some days when I'm with my three kids and somebody accidentally, which I've been called a big boy before, I'm not big, <laughs> I'm under five feet, and I, uh, my pronouns are she, her, um, you know, I just brush it off because I have three kids and I have things that, you know, I got to get going. But then on other days, if, if uh, I'm by myself or I feel a little bit more courageous, I may say something, you know, and so all that to say is nuance. And it also depends on relationship as well, right? I think those are other things. Um, I'm reading a book, um, our conference is hosting a book study, so you want to talk about race. And, and the author, Bijui um, Maulu, talks about touching hair, you know, and microaggressions. And she said, yeah, for a stranger to come up and ask, that's an absolute no. But as a close friend, if you're curious and want to learn, perhaps it's a yes, you know. And so I guess that's the other thing on my mind, is naming the fact that there is some nuance. And um, for some people, it, you know, um, it's okay. And for some others, it's not. And so the, again, deep listening, um, care, compassion, and curiosity, holding each other accountable. I guess those are things that are on my mind when it comes to microaggressions. I, I'm sorry if I'm kind of, um, you know, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I think that's that's part of this. Uh, the opportunity for us to, to kind of explore together. It's not a fixed formula. It's not um, one or the other. It is nuanced. And how can we go on that journey of learning together? So, yeah. Yeah, 
I really appreciate the mention of nuance within that because uh, I've experienced that as well, right? Like depending on the context and I'll just use misgendering again as the example, uh, depending on like the context that I'm in where someone might misgender me, um, if it's like just the cashier at the grocery store, chances are I'm not going to connect or correct them. Like I don't know them well enough. I like really don't care. Like it's going to be like whatever it is, maybe even whatever um, compared to maybe acquaintances or coworkers or friends who make who have told you know like this is who I am uh this is how I want you to like respect me like refer to me etc um and I'm a lot more likely you know when people catch it and correct themselves and move on that like to me is like okay yeah they're trying they've got it great good versus someone who might like not catch it right away and then they get corrected by multiple people and they continue uh misgendering um you know that might be a little bit greater experience of that microaggression and so yeah I agree I think that nuance is so important to talk about um and being able to recognize that like what might be a microaggression for me does not need to be um a microaggression or like as uh great of a microaggression for like another people's person or something like that um so that relationship piece I think also uh goes into it and in thinking about that nuance too because I feel that when we talk about things like microaggressions and the language that we use right um we jump into this realm of like oh like we're all just trying to be like politically correct or Mm -hmm. um you know this is like we're pleasing each other or Mm -hmm. this is too much to consider like why can't we just like brush it off and move on and Mm -hmm. I think like the answer to that is like we can't brush that off and move on because it is like these small acts, right? That still contribute to these larger mm-hmm. systemic injustices that we talk about. Um, and like, what is it? I think personally, like it helps us like be in closer relationship with yeah. others. Um, and then like you learn to navigate it, right? Like you learn to navigate right. that nuance and those boundaries and relationships of, um, mm-hmm. When does it like not become, and what like when is it actually microaggression, and when is it just curiosity and compassion? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be hard to navigate. So I don't know. Yeah, that's what that's what your reflection got me thinking about. Yeah, yeah, and then how how does this um, tie into you know in our context of serving on staff for the Mountain Sky Conference and the Methodist Church, right? Why why does this matter? And um, because some people might say, well, you know, this is not important to the life of the church, or it's uh, politicized or um, secular, quote unquote. You know, how how does this tie into the life of the church? And um, I've been having conversations, you know, lately in in different groups that this work is discipleship, um, right? At least for me, um, it's this constant. Um, learning, hopefully growing, um, and practicing. Um, and I think for for at least for me, for so long, um, faith and Christianity has been so much about right belief. But um, how does that partner with right relationship? Right and 
And that's that's the discipleship part of faith. It's this ongoing work. It's not a right belief and one and done. It's practicing and being community with one another. And part of that is microaggressions. Like how can we um, avoid causing harm? And how can we create spaces that hold each other accountable? Um, and, you know, court, I mentioned this to you and other things is I long for that. I long for spaces where um, I feel I can um, say something um, and draw somebody in if they've caused harm. But I also want the same if I've caused harm and I can be better that somebody would say, hey, Betty, um, hey, let's think about this, you know, or let's reconsider what you've done. I think that's part of discipleship. And so, um, yeah, I think microaggressions is something that is important for us to talk about within the church and and beyond. Yeah. So how has, I know you're, you're working on a tr some trainings and so, and, and um, this has come up. So yeah, what are some things that are coming up in conversation with you? And as you have been, um, you know, preparing and training camps and, yeah so i think the biggest one um so when i teach workshops and trainings i always come center on the why right like why do we do this why does it matter mm -hmm. and from an lgbtq plus um all the letters of the alphabet mafia um all when we like come back to that why and in that context of like the youth perspective of it or um especially like looking at the LGBTQ youth, things like in a trans lens or transgender lens, using a child's or youth's uh, chosen name or like their pronouns that they feel best fit them, et cetera. Um, even just like affirming their identity uh, as an LGBTQ person, not just a transgender person, but LGBTQ, like all the gender and sexuality um, identities out there. Just like that affirmation, significantly like reduces the risk of suicide uh, within LGBTQ youth. Um, it also reduces uh, risk for depression, anxiety, and other uh, mental health stuff that they might deal with as like a result of being under like minority stress um, or like experiencing discrimination and things like that based on their identity. So when I do these workshops, I always focus on that why, like what we're trying to do is to quite literally save lives in my perspective. Um, and I think like while that is the why, why that's like important is the why like we affirm LGBTQ youth and adults like all throughout their life, right? That should continue on. It shouldn't just be when they're teenagers um, or younger. It should be all throughout their lives like, for anyone else. Um, but when I throw that out there, sometimes I worry that it can be really intimidating for folks to think like, wow, like if I use the wrong name for a kid or if I use the wrong pronoun, like I've just messed this kid up the rest of their life. But in reality, like, as long as, like, you're trying and, like, you're making the effort, um, that's not, like, necessarily the case. Like, if you're just, like, not trying at all, if you don't care, um, you continue to use, like, their birth name or the wrong pronouns or uh, deny who they are um, and just aren't affirming, that, to me, is going to bring in all those other risk factors that we talked about or that I mentioned earlier. And so in these trainings and workshops, I always kind of bring that up as like, we're all people, right? Like we're all gonna make mistakes. Um, 
there is an adjustment period, especially if someone's changing their name or um, experimenting and exploring like different pronouns. So when a kid is experimenting with different name or pronouns and, you know, there's going to be an adjustment period, especially if they're like swapping between multiple names and multiple pronouns and things like that. Um, and so I always tell people like, it is okay to like screw up and mess up. Like you're not going to cause um, a mental health crisis because like you had a like slip of the tongue one day or struggled for a little bit. And so for me, it comes back to, again, that accountability piece and what does it look like to create a culture where we can call each other in? Because I think, especially in the church realm and faith communities, I think we have a hard time with that accountability uh, because we like to paint things as really nice and pretty and, you know, like there's no conflict here or uh, we're good Christian people, right? So we can't go like stepping on each other's toes. Um, I can't, you know, tell Betty that what you said was actually harmful and here's why, because it'll really upset Betty and like, it's going to be like this whole big deal, right? And so I think when we start to admit that like there will be faults, like we're not going to be perfect at it. Um, we are going to fall short in our allyship, in our activism, in our fights against injustice. Um, once we be able, once we start to admit that, I think it gives us a better place for being able to have those hard conversations and then not treat them as something that we need to like beat around the bush about. Like we can just get straight to the point, like, hey, like. Betty, I noticed that like you used the wrong pronouns for me in this moment. I uh, just wanted to like let you know so you were aware. Um, and then that's it. Like we could just move on and move forward. I mean, it doesn't have to be this whole big, like giant, massive conversation that I personally wouldn't want to have. Um, and I don't know if you would either, but it doesn't have to be like this big, awkward thing, right? Like it can just be a, like a note of, hey, like this wasn't cool. Uh, you know, do better next time. Like let's move on. So. Yeah, I I have been thinking about practice and and I've had this con- you know we've had this conversation about and and I'm so grateful what you said because there is you know kind of like this rejection or like I don't care this doesn't apply to me so I'm not going to engage in this kind of work. Then there's this other piece of oh my gosh I want to be an ally. I want to be better, but if I mess up, it's going to all crumble down, and that causes us, me, others, to not engage at all, right? Like we just avoid being in community altogether, and so, um, so there is that tension of, um, can we be brave enough to show up, um, vulnerable enough? to say something, you know, all those things. And it takes practice. I know, like, for me, it's taken decades of trying to take up space to say something. Um, In the middle of a meeting, especially. Um, Or it's taken time for me in my own work to recognize when a microaggression has happened to me. Like, for, for a long time, you know, something would happen and it wouldn't feel right. And, and I couldn't put a finger on it. And and so I'm still trying to learn what, when I am on the recipient end of a microaggression and how to respond, like, and then how do I respond when somebody does 
call me out or draw me in. It takes practice <laughs> for me to say, okay, Betty, don't get defensive. Um, but this is learning, right? And I think um, practice, how do we create community where we can practice? And I don't know if we talked about this in another podcast or in a separate conversation, um, but um, it does take practice. Yet, it's not an excuse not to just, not to engage, right? Because like you said, people are literally dying or their mental health is taking a toll. And, you know, individuals are not able to live fully because of the harm they've experienced, right? So again, that tension of practice and yet you can't avoid or wait a little longer or whatever. You mentioned, Betty, uh, you know, in your work, it's taken you a while to be able to recognize, like, when a microaggression has happened to you. Um, and I, like, I wholeheartedly agree in my own work as well. Uh, being able to recognize microaggressions just in your own context. And I'm curious, um, what has it looked like for you to take care of yourself when when those occur, uh, what does that kind of self-care piece look like? How do you, yeah, how do you take care of yourself after you've experienced a microaggression or any of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will first say that I feel I lived a very privileged life um, as a person of color, and that's a whole other conversation around uh, racism and uh, model minority, that myth and all these other things. So I, I will say that I feel like I've lived a very privileged um, life and, and have not been on the end of many horrific things that we have heard from our siblings. Um, but with, with what you've asked, and thanks for asking, I think a big part of it is, is having spaces to to talk about it um, both seriously and to be able to have people to laugh with about it and um, so so spaces to to really say you know wow this has been harmful years of showing up to meetings and recognizing oh yeah my ideas have been overlooked until you know somebody else you know, of dominant culture says something. And so um, that has had an impact and it's taken years for me to think about, oh, um, do I have enough courage to speak up because most likely I might not be heard, right? So so that's a very serious kind of space to kind of think through that and what does it mean to change that culture? But then I have space where I can laugh about it. You know? um, this is this is one of the things I can laugh about is my height. I've been, um, you know, a lot of Asian people are shorter than the average, you know, dominant culture people. <laughs> I'm even shorter than the, you know, typical Asian girl. And so many times I'm mistaken as one of the kids, like there are kids together, like where's the parent in this group? Or, you know, I've been at the airport and with my son and the TSA person would say, who's the parent? Or, you know, <laughs> or I've been 
chaperoning, you know, my son's uh, and daughter's school events. And, you know, another group would walk by. It's like, where's your chaperone? I'm like, I'm the chaperone. But, but things like that, um, I'm grateful that I can talk to people and then laugh about it. So there's these, you know, serious moments of really trying to think through things. And then spaces where we can laugh about it. And I think, again, that goes back to community and relationship um, that has helped to nurture me. Um, yeah, over the years, and um, both professionally and you know, in as a as a community member. So, how about you, Court? Yeah, thanks for asking the question. How how have you taken care of your spirit or found healing? Um, yeah, yeah, I think very similarly. Uh, just people to talk about it with. Um, to validate that like what I experienced was like a microaggression or whatever it may be. And I think some of that too, um, like I have to recognize that I am perceived as a woman in this society um, as much as like, I'm not one, uh, but that's how I am perceived. And so, especially like moments where, and I think this comes from like that intersection of it as well. Um, you know, what might be a microaggression related to like misogyny or what might be a microaggression related to homophobia or like anti-queerness or transphobia like etc um and i know those are like really really big words right and so um again when we talk about microaggressions like these are small like they're very small instances of it and it can be really hard to tell and i think yeah so when i think of that in context of like you know what was like the microaggression that i experienced um having community and people to go to and say like hey like this happened today and like i don't know like it gave me a weird feeling and made me really uncomfortable and I'm trying to like figure out like what like which category does this fit in and the answer is well it, it could be one of them and it could be all of them um and like regardless of which box it fit in like that experience was still valid like it was so real um you're not you know making it up this isn't like a hallucination or anything like this was a real thing and I've experienced it too and so um that's the big part is just knowing that there are other people who have experienced it too and being able to talk openly with each other of like hey like this occurred um yeah that happened to me last week like i'm with you like solidarity great um if you want to call it that so that for sure and then i think being able to like laugh and joke about it as well um and find humor in it sometimes like oh like this happened today and you know just like it did like last week or something and we can all laugh about it and uh, poke fun at it because it's sometimes like you have to not always but sometimes I think for myself um, I get a lot of value of being able to make a joke and laugh it off um, I don't know if humor is a coping me mechanism hesitantly but <laughs> yeah so I think both those things and just being really like careful and gentle with myself of um, you know it's okay like this happens and we'll get through it and yeah carry on trudge on <laughs> yeah mm. yeah and you know you're, you're right laughing is um or is a coping mechanism and like we said, nuance earlier, right? Like there's some certain things that we can laugh about. Height is totally different from anti-Asian things, right? You know, uh, you know, sentiment. So like, again, like, um, yeah, all, all of it, I guess. 
that's what I'm thinking about. Um, you know, in our conversation, as you were sharing, and I'm thinking about I, probably something we've talked about in the past too is um, how, and, and you alluded to this, about how this ties into our faith and how we do church, you know, quote unquote, whatever that looks like, right? Whether in the building, at camp, in a small group, um, on how our faith should move us towards one another and to build community opposed to how sometimes our faith is used to manipulate and say, just forgive or let go or, uh, um, you know, be humble, don't speak, you know, not a big deal. And sometimes I think, again, just a, a reminder to us and to those of us who are in the church to um, be mindful that our faith is the values that come out of our faith are so beautiful, but can be used in harmful ways as well. Um, so when we talk about microaggressions um, or bias or, you know, homophobia, racism, that uh, things such as grace, forgiveness, um, can be used in manipulative ways. So just like, as you were speaking, I was just thinking about, I'm always trying to uh, remind myself, you know, because um, as I talk with congregations and, and groups, we, we do go back, you know, love one another, um, you know, all these beautiful things about our faith, and yet those same things have been used to overlook um, and cause harm. Hopefully I didn't go on a tangent, but that kind of came up for me when you were sharing. Not a tangent at all. I think you gave us a theme for our next podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> if we remember to jot it down, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the that's the trick. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I'm so grateful for Again, your ministry, but as you're you're talking, especially to churches and camp camps about how to create spaces for for our youth and young adults. And I have a teenager, and he's thirteen, and not only I'm thinking about him, and not only knowing that if he goes to a camp. You know, he can come fully at who he is, but yet also he's learning, hopefully, to treat his friends and siblings too, you know. So it's not only, um, um, not only a, a, a blessing for him to come into a space where he and he knows his friends can feel welcome, but he's also learning skills and learning from role models about what it means to, um, welcome others, you know, and bridge across difference. And so um, that that's a gift. That's a gift. Any final thoughts? I don't, I don't think so. Other than thank you. And thank yeah. you for, yeah, your reflection and your wisdom. And, and thanks for, thanks for percolating. 
lucky together. <laughs> yeah, friends, I hope that you're percolating with us and um, you know, those who are serving within uh, a church in your various capacities. Um, I hope that microaggressions is something you can consider in your ministry settings and how this um, have this conversation with staff and, and volunteers and leaders. Um, all other settings. And if you want to continue the conversation, uh, obviously you can find us on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, and you can also now find and follow us on Facebook and uh, share along and be a part of the conversation. Uh, we're just on Facebook at Percolating Wonder. Uh, yeah, join the community. We hope to see you there. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Percolating Wonder. Be sure to like and subscribe or follow us depending on what podcast platform you're listening on. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And remember, tell your friends.